Welcome to the Investing Insights Podcast from Morningstar.com. This podcast is brought to you by MFS Investment Management. Backed by 40 years of essential fixed income, markets change, but the role fixed income plays shouldn't. That's why we stay true to our traditional approach, essential fixed income. Find out more at mfs.com slash fixed income. This week on the podcast, Christine Benz with three ideas for IRAs, Eric Compton sees an attractive dividend opportunity with Wells Fargo, Beth Foos on a bronze-rated muni fund with a solid team, Aaron Lash thinks Kraft Heinz is undervalued despite bad news, Alex Bryan with four ETFs for IRAs, and Jamie Katz on how the slowing housing market affects Home Depot and Lowe's. Let's get started. First, three good ideas for IRAs. For Morningstar, I'm Jeremy Glazer. With the April 15th deadline to fund a 2018 IRA fast approaching, many investors might be wondering what types of investments they should put inside this wrapper. I'm here with Christine Ben. She's our director of personal finance with three ideas. Christine, thanks for joining me. Jeremy, it's great to be here. Uh, the first category of investments uh, that are good for IRAs are high dividend paying stocks. What? Why is this? Well, I think investors might be a little confused by this, but Dividends are currently taxed the same as as long-term capital gains. So you might say, well, why do you make such a big deal about putting the dividend payer inside of an IRA? And the key reason is that uh, if you own a dividend-paying company or if you own some sort of a fund that focuses on dividend-paying companies, you get those dividends year in and year out, regardless of anything that you might do to try to control the receipt of those distributions. So if you do like dividend-paying securities and you have room in your tax-sheltered accounts, I would prioritize them there rather than putting them in a taxable account. Taxable account is great for that plain vanilla index fund that might happen to have some dividends, but if you're prioritizing a high dividend payer, I would house it inside of a tax-deferred account. And if you were looking for a dividend fund uh, for this year, uh, what would be a good choice? One that our team likes is called uh, Schwab Dividend Equity, the ETF. The ticker is SCHD. And this is a fund that is neither extremely high dividend focused nor uh, focused exclusively on dividend growth, which tends to lead to a lower dividend payout. It's somewhere in between. It's a very low cost product. We, we think it's a really nice option for investors who do want to receive some sort of regular income from their products. The second category to think about are Treasury Inflation Protected Securities, or TIPS. Why would these be a good choice for an IRA versus other bonds? Yeah, generally speaking, other bonds are also a good fit for an IRA. So anything that's kicking off high levels of current income in the neighborhood of 35 4%, that's a, a, a security type that you want to think about housing inside of some sort of tax-sheltered accounts. TIPS in particular, I think, are worth a look inside an IRA. For one thing, they tend to not frequently be found on 401k menus. So this might be a slot that you have open because you're not fulfilling it through your 401k. The other uh, key reason relates to the taxation of tips. So when you own a tips bond, you own tax on not just the um, coupon payout, but also the inflation adjustment. So tips are generally a security type that you want to house 
those inside of a tax-sheltered accounts. And your third category is also in fixed income, yeah. and that's those higher-yielding bonds would be more aggressive bond funds. That's right. And the interesting thing is, Jeremy, I was just doing a little prep for a presentation a couple of weeks ago, and I saw that yields have really popped up on some of, some of the lower-quality stuff. I hadn't been paying close attention, but you don't have to stretch for a high-yield bond fund that is yielding uh, 6% today. Same with emerging markets bonds. We've seen uh, yields pop up quite significantly over the past six months. So to the extent that you have some of these higher income, some of the lower quality bond types, the yields are significant, especially these days. And so you want to make sure that um, to the extent that you own them, you're housing them inside a tax deferred account. And if you're looking for a TIPS fund or a higher yield bond fund, what would be some of your top choices? Well, when it comes to TIPS, our analysts have concluded that keeping things really plain vanilla is a good way to go. They generally find that the index products are very effective and active managers have a hard time adding value. So the, the funds that I recommend again and again would be Vanguard short-term inflation protected securities. It's one I've got in my model portfolios. Vanguard inflation protected securities, it has more interest rate sensitivity, but it's also another good option. Um, in terms of, of higher yielding products, one fund I often recommend because it bundles together a lot of different lower quality fixed income types is Loomis Sales Bond. So it will hold lower quality uh, junk bonds, it will hold emerging markets bonds, it sometimes holds a little bit of equity exposure. It's definitely not for the faint of heart. You'd want to have a nice long holding period for it, but uh, that's a product I like because it keeps you from having to hold a lot of three or four or five percent positions. It lets you bundle those types together. Christine, thank you. Thank you, Jeremy. For Morningstar, I'm Jeremy Glazer. Thanks for watching. Overwhelmed by the market? Morningstar Premium will help you cut through the noise and find the most promising investments. Get started today with Morningstar Premium. Next, an attractive dividend opportunity in Wells Fargo. Widewelt-rated Wells Fargo is still trading within a four-star range, and the bank boasts one of the top dividend yields among our coverage, at roughly 3.8%. Unfortunately, the Wells Fargo name has become synonymous with scandal, and the bank is now in year three of, surely we'll fix this soon, resulting in years of disappointments for shareholders. The bank does face real issues, including current and future potential impairments to its brand, which is already making it difficult to stem the loss of future business, such as from advisors or retail customers who have lost faith in the bank, and the bank will likely remain under its asset cap through the end of 2019. Initially, the bank had found ways to maneuver the balance sheet to make the asset cap sting as little as possible. But with those efforts already largely completed, the bank will face a higher cost from being unable to grow. The constant focus on defense has also robbed the bank of an ability to be more aggressive on offense during a time when the banking industry is arguably changing faster than ever. While the negatives are obvious, they are also being priced into the stock to some degree, giving investors, particularly those searching for yield, a potentially attractive opportunity. We will highlight that Wells is still very profitable, yielding a return on average tangible equity of over 15% in the most recent quarterly results. With an inability to invest in balance sheet growth, the bank will be more focused on share repurchases and dividend growth than most of its peers. Further, with a current CET1 ratio of 11.7%, 
compared to an internal target of 10%, the bank also has more excess capital than most peers. The combination of the asset cap and excess capital should lead to healthy dividend and share repurchases in 2019. While the asset cap will eventually be lifted, we think when that does happen, and if Wells can maintain or even improve their current returns, shareholders should eventually be rewarded with share price appreciation. In the meantime, the bank may be able to repurchase roughly 6% of shares in 2019 and roughly 5% of shares in 2020, subject to regulatory approvals. And with the share counts declining, we forecast the bank could support dividend growth in the double-digit range over the next several years, even with limited top-line revenue growth. This should provide some cushion for shares as the bank continues to navigate the real risks and issues it faces over the next several years. Watch all the Morningstar content you love from your living room. Download the Morningstar Roku channel and get up-to-date independent insights on today's markets. Be comfortable. Be informed. Now, a bronze-rated muni fund with a solid team. Wells Fargo Intermediate Tax AMT-Free Fund is backed by a stable, well-resourced team that's delivered solid returns. That, along with the fund's attractive fees on most of its share classes, supports a Morningstar analyst rating of bronze. Managers Robert Miller and Lyle Fitterer have been co-managing this fund for over a decade. Miller came to Wells Fargo from American Century in 2008 and takes the lead here. Fitterer leads the firm's tax-exempt fixed income team and also serves as the co-head of its global fixed income platform. The two managers tap a variety of tools to build this portfolio, including moderate adjustments to duration and yield curve positioning. While this fund's duration typically stays close to that of its index, Miller is more adventurous when it comes to credit risk. He relies on a talented group of credit analysts to uncover undervalued securities and will invest in out-of-favor sectors when he believes there's value there. For example, he generally favors mid-quality bonds over AAA-rated bonds prevalent in the fund's benchmark. Investors should note, though, that although the fund's credit-sensitive style can boost returns when muni markets are strong, they can also sting when markets get rocky. That said, the team has shown restraint and seems to be willing to lighten up on credit risk when valuations aren't compelling. That approach has generated solid returns over the long haul, with the fund's 10-year annualized gain topping roughly two-thirds of category rivals. This podcast is brought to you by MFS Investment Management, backed by 40 years of essential fixed income. Your fixed income strategy should aim to deliver the essentials for your clients. Income, diversification, and risk management. Find out more at mfs.com slash fixed income. Next, we see Kraft Heinz as undervalued despite bad news. While Nomote Kraft Heinz boasted its second consecutive period of more than 2% organic sales growth in the last quarter of 2018, this was overshadowed by a rash of unfavorable headlines surrounding profit contraction, an SEC investigation into its procurement accounting, and a reduction in its quarterly dividend. Despite this, we view shares as undervalued today. In the quarter, adjusted operating margins contracted. We do expect this pressure to persist, but we view the firm's emphasis on ratcheting up spend behind its brands and capabilities favorably. More specifically, research, development, and marketing spending at Kraft Heinz has hovered in the low single digits of sales the past few years, lagging their peers. But we expect investments will expand this number to a mid-single digit range annually over our 10-year forecast. 
in light of profit headwinds, we intend to edge down our $60 fair value estimate by a mid-single-digit rate. But we still view shares as undervalued given the pronounced pullback in the last few months. Go from one investment analyst to 150. Sign up today for Morningstar Premium and let our independent and unbiased research staff help you find the best investments. Get started today with Morningstar Premium. Now, four ETF ideas for IRAs. Hi, I'm Christine Benz for Morningstar.com. Investors have until April 15th to make a contribution to an IRA for the 2018 tax year, and they may be mulling what to invest in. Joining me to share three exchange-traded fund ideas for an IRA is Alex Bryan. He's with Morningstar Research Services. Alex, your first fund idea, your first exchange-traded fund idea is just to keep things very plain vanilla to invest in a total stock market index fund like Vanguard Total Stock Market Index. Why do you think it's a good core pick for for a, an IRA? So I think this is a great core pick kind of across the board for anyone who wants exposure to U.S. stocks. So this particular fund uh, basically owns all U.S. stocks uh, that have decent liquidity and it weights them based on their market value. So effectively what this does is it replicates the composition of the U.S. market, uh, effectively harnessing investors' collective wisdom about the relative value of each security. Now, the market has been very difficult to beat over the very long term, uh, and there's a few few reasons for that. One, um, it's very difficult for a lot of active managers to overcome their fees and to earn those back. This particular fund keeps fees low. It keeps fees at uh, four basis points, which is $4 for every $10,000 that you invest. So that's, I think, the biggest advantage. But this fund is also advantageous because it provides really strong diversification uh, across both individual names as well as sectors. So you're not putting all of your eggs in one basket here. And I think that's really important, especially if you're an investor who doesn't necessarily have a view on you know, a particular area of the market or, or a particular stock. This is one way that you can just buy a single fund for your entire exposure to the U.S. market and kind of be done with it. Okay. So investors sometimes hear total stock market index and think, well, that's a perfect taxable holding. But you're saying it would also work well in an IRA. Yes, a- absolutely. I think there's a couple advantages to holding uh, this type of holding in an IRA. One, um, you know, U.S. stocks right now pay a dividend about 2% or so. Mm-hmm. And if you hold that in a taxable account, you're going to have to pay taxes every time you receive those dividend payments. In a tax-deferred account, you don't have to pay those taxes right away. Uh, so I think that's one of the advantages. But uh, more importantly, I think it's really important to think about the diversification across asset classes. And so even though Stocks are generally more tax efficient than bonds. I think it's important for uh, investors who are saving up for retirement to have access to uh, both asset classes. And I think this is a really good way of getting exposure to U.S. stocks. Okay. Another fund you like is iShares Edge MSCI Minimum Volatility USA. The ticker is USMV. You like the category of uh, minimum volatility funds in general. Let's talk about kind of the thesis there and then this fund in particular. So the idea behind minimum volatility strategies is that these are strategies that are designed to reduce the risk of investing in stocks. Now, they still have stock-like risks, so they're definitely riskier than bonds are. Uh, And if the stock market is down, these will also likely lose money. Mm -hmm. But the idea is that these are designed to provide a smoother smoother ride, so uh, deliver lower volatility than the overall market, provide better downside protection. So if the market's down 10%, Hopefully, these will be down something less than that, right. maybe like 7 or 8%. Um, you give up a little bit on the upside. So during a strong market rally, these types of funds will tend to lag a bit. 
But if you're risk averse and you're okay with that trade-off, I think these are really attractive strategies. They've tended to provide better risk-adjusted performance over the long term. So even though you give up some on the upside, uh, the downside protection more than offsets that. So over the very long term, these types of strategies have provided market-like returns with lower risk. And I think that's a pretty attractive trade-off that will likely continue going forward. Okay. And you can buy different flavors of these uh, minimum volatility funds. One is uh, like a foreign stock ETF that would target that particular sub-universe. That's right. So there's uh, very various iterations of the strategy, but there is an international version of this. Uh, the ticker is EFAV, the iShares Edge. MSCI, EFA, Minimum Volatility Fund. Uh, but this fund, the US version of it, uh, the way that this works is it basically starts with all stocks that are listed in uh, the uh, MSCI USA index. And then it uses a pretty complicated algorithm to try to construct the least volatile portfolio possible looking at two things. One, the volatility of individual stocks. And two, the uh, correlations across the stocks. So it's trying to not necessarily own the least volatile stocks, but it's looking at stocks that in combination will provide uh, the lowest overall volatility. So it's looking at diversification as well as the individual defensive characteristics of each stock. And I think that's an important thing for a core holding because it's not going to load up on just utilities or just you know, consumer defensive stocks. It's still going to own some tech stocks, still going to own some energy stocks. Uh, in fact, it actually anchors its sector weightings to that of the, the broader market okay. and limits its tilts to within 5%. So you get a pretty well-diversified portfolio here, but I think this is a, a portfolio that will provide better downside protection than the overall market, and I think that's really attractive for more risk-adverse investors. Okay. Another fund that I think is a really interesting idea is uh, Vanguard High Dividend Yield. The ticker is VYM. It's silver-rated. It's a large-cap value fund. Let's talk about the thesis for holding dividend payers inside of an IRA, because I think some some investors might look at that and say, well, dividends are taxed just like long-term capital gains, so why should I house a dividend-focused fund inside of an IRA? Let's talk about that to start. Yeah, so dividend, uh, when a company pays a dividend, that creates an immediate taxable event. You have to pay taxes on that uh, when you receive the, the money. If from, you hold it in a taxable If you hold it account. in a taxable mm -hmm. account. So the benefit of holding this in an IRA or a, a tax-sheltered account is that you get to defer those taxes. Uh, and that allows you to keep more of your money to you know, earn a higher rate of return before you ultimately pay those taxes. Um, so I think that's a really attractive place to hold income-producing securities, whether it's bonds or our dividend-paying stocks. IRAs are particularly attractive for, for that. But more broadly, uh, aside from the tax considerations, I think there's a lot to like about dividend-paying companies. One, dividends impose discipline on managers, uh, prevents them from hoarding cash and, and makes it harder for them to invest in low-return uh, pet projects and right. things like that. Um, but also, I mean, uh, dividends allow investors uh, the fortitude to stay invested through the market's rough patches. There, a lot of these companies tend to uh, have a bit more stable cash flows than, than the non-dividend payers out there. Um, and so, you know, yes, during market downturns, these stocks will go down, but you'll still be able to collect the dividend payments. And for a lot of investors, that can give them um, the fortitude to kind of stick with these uh, investments, you know, through thick and thin, and it, it can be easier than holding non-dividend payers. Okay. A thoughtful group of funds. Thank you so much for being here to discuss them with us. Thank you for having me. Thanks for watching. I'm Christine Benz from Morningstar.com. Can your portfolio weather the market? Use our premium portfolio tools to identify risks and streamline your holdings. Get started today with Morningstar Premium. And finally, Home Depot, Lowe's, and the housing market.
Wide Moat Companies, Home Depot, and Lowe's both reported their fourth quarter results this week, delivering same-store sales that were a bit lighter than we had forecast, spoiled by a wet winter and difficult comparison to 2017's hurricane season. However, the outlook for the year ahead, with Home Depot calling for 5% and Lowe's predicting 3% same-store sales growth in 2019, implies the slowing improvement of the housing market hasn't hindered the ability for the market leaders to grow their top lines. With housing turnover slowing as lower-priced homes remain scarce and interest rates remain off their lows, there are some caution signs for these businesses. However, still rising home prices and the aging housing stock are mitigating factors that continue to help offset these headwinds. At this time, we view both Home Depot and Lowe's shares as fairly valued. We have slower growth embedded in both models ahead, given where we are in the current economic cycle and the market share gains the businesses have already captured. Our $170 fair value on Home Depot is contingent on 3.5% sales growth and 20 basis points of operating margin expansion on average, while our $98 fair value at Lowe's incorporates 2.5% sales increases and 20 basis points of operating margin improvement annually. We expect both companies to maintain their market leadership positions and generate solid ROICs supporting our wide moat ratings. That does it for this week's Investing Insights podcast from Morningstar.com. We hope you have enjoyed our program and we welcome your feedback. Please send your comments and questions to podcast at Morningstar.com. From everyone here at Morningstar, thanks for listening. Sponsored by Oppenheimer Funds, a leader in global investing.